just for coming in. We have such a treat this morning. We're so glad you're here. Just keep on coming in as you're coming in from Sunday school. But we are so excited. We have an amazing group of children that are going to lead us in worship. And they're going to start with Come Thou Fount. And then we're going to sing the first verse with them when they come back around the second time. And then they're going to also sing another really wonderful song for us. And they're going to lead us in worship this morning.
545 and then following that's mission so we'd love to have your children involved thank you so much do you have something else is that okay sit with your parents or go with Chris if you sit with your parents you got to listen to me so it's your choice <laughs> hey we are glad you're here we want to welcome you to First Baptist Church I just call your attention to the worship guide there are several announcements Ladies, there's an event with WMU coming up next Sunday night that you might want to take part of. Um, Holy Week services, we'll say a little bit more about that at the end of the service. And then there are two missions opportunities with health clinic and also water filters. And um, my own dad's leaving church. He's not going to stay and listen to his son preach. Can y'all believe that? <laughs> He'd have grounded me for two weeks for doing that. <laughs> he can't hear me or his select. <laughs> Selective hearing. He was here in the first service, so we'll give him a break. But we're glad you're here. Why don't you stand up and welcome one another? We're glad that you're here today. How you? You. All fields. It's great. All right. We are really glad that you're here. You can be seated. We are glad that you're here. And just remember Wednesday nights, um, we saw the children's things. Also, I'm teaching through Romans. We're in chapter one on Wednesday night at 630. If you're interested in the midweek Bible study, it's in the sanctuary. We'd love you to be a part of that. Paul told Timothy to devote himself to the public reading of Scripture. And we try to do that every single week. Judge Minor is going to come and read our Scripture. Our Scripture this morning is 2 Kings 4, verses 1 through 7. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, Go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Judge Minor. Let's stand, church. Let's continue to worship through music as we seek his face.
sound of his voice Seas that are shaken and stirred Can be calmed and broken for my regard Trust in me.
Father, I thank you that because of what you did for us on the cross, because of what you did through Jesus and what you're even doing now through the presence of your spirit, it can really be well with our soul. It doesn't mean all of our situations are where we want them to be or everything is like we think it ought to be, but we can trust you. And I thank you, Father, that no matter what the trial we may be going through, even as we look at this in James, no matter what trial we may be going through, I thank you for that simple promise we just sang, that the winds and waves still know your name. You're still able to speak to the storms and you can calm them. Sometimes you take us through them, sometimes you take us around them and sometimes you, you get us in the midst of it and you work the miracle and we see your glory and we're thankful for what you do. God, I pray that you'd make us a thankful people no matter what. You know the great needs that we have Lord, I just pray for Brenda Fields. Lord, it's, um, it's hard to believe that Lawrence is now in your presence, that he stepped in glory this morning. We thank you for the hope of the resurrection that we have, but we pray for his two sons and his daughter and his, their spouses and grandsons and grandchildren. We just pray, God, you'd bless them and watch over them. We lift Dennis Bowman to you and suffering with a blood clot and we just ask God that you would bring healing to him to protect him. Lord, we, we lift up Rihanna and the surgery she's facing and just pray God that, that you would use this to um, let the doctors know exactly what to do but I pray God that, that she would get healing. God, I thank you that you are a healing God. You know the other needs we have. Many in this room that we don't know about, but you do. So we lift them to you and pray, Father, that you would bless them. We pray, Father, for the spread of your gospel in the world. As we just, in a moment, see this couple from Portland. God, we just pray that you would, um, you would bless them as they work in churches and work in an area that's spiritually dark. God, help us to be faithful to support folks like this. Help us today to worship you, to come to your word, speak to us, Lord. We need to hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As I said in the prayer, there's a video I want you to see. It's, it's about the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. It's specifically about the North American Mission Board, but. When you give to Annie Armstrong, you go to, you give to help couples like this. So let's look at this before we read our scripture. When people say keep Portland weird, you can think oh, people there want nothing to do with God, nothing to do with the gospel. But there are so few evangelicals in the city that uh, that curiosity is like you're this exotic creature. Most people have never met a pastor before. And so you're definitely the minority if you are a Christian. Gresham Bible Church was the first church I planted. We developed lots of deep, meaningful friendships with people in that community, and our kids did as well. 
But three years ago, the Lord made it clear to us that there were other communities in Portland that needed a new healthy church. This particular area of Northeast Portland is what you might call a church desert. And we were excited to follow the, the call of God, but worried about how our kids would take the news. Yeah, I was not thrilled that we were moving. Like one of the big things that we had been praying for when we moved here was that I could find some friends in this neighborhood and I found a lot, so that's really nice. We put ourselves out there in all kinds of ways with neighbors and with people who heard about this new church getting started and it is all hands on deck for the Brown family in this church plant. It's been a while since I went to church and just sat and listened instead of doing stuff during it, but it's nice to be able to help. We've got to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ grow. We've seen leaders raised up and missionaries sent out from our church because the need for gospel access in this city is really great. We started this church believing the Lord would provide and they've got to see, wow, God gave us a building and God brought people and, sorry, it's gonna make me cry. They get a front row seat, you know, to see the Lord provide and it's been really awesome really awesome. As I said, everything that you give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering goes to those type of things and these type of people. And so I just want to encourage you to give as generously as you can to that particular um, offering this time of the year. Um, the book of James is where we're focusing and we're going to invite you to turn there. Um, Something went wrong with my mic, as you heard at the beginning, so um, some of you will remember Jimmy Swagger, and I feel like Swagger with this microphone. I hope that's the only way I'm going to be like him. Um, other than singing, I wish I could sing like him. And, um, but James chapter 1, um, just look real quick, just before we stand to read. He, he commands us, we saw it last week, to count it joy in verse 2 when you meet trials of various kinds. He says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Then here's our text. So if you can stand in honor of God's word, I invite you to stand. So from that, from count it all joy, knowing that the testing produces steadfastness, and that produces a life that's perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he or she will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You can be seated. So we see the command in verse 2 to count it all joy when you encounter various trials. But the, the question that pops in my mind immediately when I read something like that is, how can I do it in the midst of the trial? I, I, maybe I'm the only one in this room, but I have a real difficult time seeing the benefit of the trial while I'm in the trial. Usually when I get to of it 
I can look back and say, oh, that's what he was doing. Thank you, God. Forgive me for whining so much. I see what you're doing. But it's hard to see it when I'm walking through. Um, hindsight's always 20-20. We always look back and it's, it's always easier to see. But how do we see it while we're in it? How can we, in the midst of the trial, do what he says in verse 2, count it all joy when you encounter various trials? I think James shows us how to do that. I know that he does. And so just as he starts in verse 2 with a command, count it all joy, he starts our text with a command, and it's a command to pray. A command to pray. When he says, ask, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. That word ask is, is in the imperative mode in, in the Greek language, which means it's a command. It's not a suggestion. He's commanding us to pray and ask for wisdom. So we're commanded in verses two through four to have joy in trial because of what God does through the trial. But now in verses five through eight, we find the command to ask God for wisdom to learn from the trials as we're going through them, as we're about to enter them, as maybe we've already been through them and, and they're in the back, in the, in the rear view mirror. We ask him, we ask him when we're not in a trial. So if you're in a period of life right now and there are no trials, ask God for wisdom to see life the way he sees it when you encounter the next trial. If you're in the middle of the trial, this sermon is for you. Stop and, 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 and maybe change your prayer. Don't just pray, God, get me out of this. God, give me some relief. Stop and say, God, what are you teaching me through this? And then if you're on the other side of the trial, look back and ask God, God, give me wisdom to see what you were doing and show me how to face it the next time I go through it. Because the honest truth is Satan is not very creative. He's going to attack us in the same way over and over and over again. So when he comes at us, when the trials come, sometimes allowed by God, sometimes sent by Satan, as we look at those trials of life, temptations or trials, we'll look at those more in the days to come. But when we face those, we, we, we ask God for wisdom to see it the way God sees it. And the way God sees it is given to us in verses 2 through 4. He leads us to that place where we're perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, I told you in the introduction to the sermon, the sermon series that, that James leans heavily on Jesus' teachings. About 20% of, 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 the, of, of the sermons and, and the teaching that you find in James comes out of Jesus' direct teaching, many of them out of the Sermon on the Mount. And we find it here, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find knock and it will be open to you for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened sounds very familiar ask knock seek it's the same thing james is telling us here he got that from jesus Jesus goes on in that sermon in, in Matthew 7 to, to compare earthly fathers with the heavenly father. And he says, you know, the earthly fathers want to give good gifts to their children, and the heavenly father does as well. And then he says this, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So James commands, ask God if we lack wisdom. Jesus tells us that the father will give it to us if we 
ask him. Specifically though, we're, we're talking about asking for wisdom. He's not just given a carte blanche thing. You can ask God for whatever you want because if that was true, I would have driven to work today in a Corvette, okay? That's not the way it always works. I'm still waiting on that Corvette. I'm still waiting for Kim to give me the keys on a birthday one time. And when she does, she's gonna have up my life insurance and I know that I'm about to be gone. But understand, um, so understand he's saying specifically ask for wisdom while you're facing the trial. We see a lot about wisdom in the Bible. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You see it especially in Proverbs. He talks a lot about wisdom. So what is wisdom? Let me just give you a definition to write down out of the book of James. Wisdom, in James's book, wisdom is the spirit-given ability. Wisdom is the spirit-given ability to see life and trials from a divine perspective. Wisdom is the spirit-given ability to see life, specifically here trials, from a divine perspective. It's asking God to help us see life through the lens of verses two through four. Asking God to help us see trials as a way that we can grow so that we'll be mature and complete and lacking in nothing. So notice this. Let's just look at it real quick. Look at verse 4 for a moment. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete. Now notice it, lacking in nothing. You're going to see this a lot in James. He's going to tie two thoughts together. Lacking in nothing. And then verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom. You see the connection? Lacking in nothing. Now, if you lack wisdom, if you want to have wisdom and and, and you're lacking in it, you can live lacking in nothing. So ask God for wisdom. He's connecting these two thoughts. He's showing us how we can live this life he's commanding us to do. And he starts with a command to pray. And then as he commands us to pray, he turns around and gives us a picture of, of a willing father, a willing father. I just want you to look at the text when we see this. Verse five again. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. There are several things here I just want you to see. First of all, he's a willing father. He gives. He gives generously. He gives generously. But see this. It's his nature to give. We, we may not all think of God this way, but we should. It is God's nature to give. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God gave. I'll just give you two other verses. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's out of the Psalms. Delight yourself. So it doesn't mean you're going to get a Corvette. You delight in the Lord, and the Lord knows if I delight in him and I keep living, I don't need the Corvette until I get the speeding under control. So you delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So the desires to delight God will be provided for you. He gives. There's another verse. He says, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, 
how will he not also freely give us all things? I could go on and on. It's just a great study for you. Go back and look at the Bible and see the number of times that God gives. He is a generous God. It's his nature to give. I want to suggest something to you. You don't have to barter with God. You don't have to haggle. I'm not even sure you have to beg. Though there are times that your prayer life will feel like you're begging because you're so emotionally connected to it. You simply can come to your father, who as we were saying before, is a good, good father. And he gives generously. It's his nature. And as we think about him giving, look what he says. He gives generously to all without reproach. He gives generously. That's the second thing I want you to see is his giving has no heavenly limitations. That's important. His giving has no heavenly limitations. He has no limitations. Our children may ask us questions that we don't know the answer to. I, I forget who it was that was in a, a class with R.C. Sproul at Reform College, and he asked a question that no one can answer. And Sproul said, you know, God created hell for people who ask questions like that. And, um, and that doesn't, don't try that with your children, okay? That's not a good response. But children will ask us questions we don't know the answers to. Children will ask us for things that we may want to give them, but we don't have the ability to give to them. That's never the case with our Father. He's omnipotent, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent. He is everywhere, he knows all things, he has all power. So we can come to our Father. There are no heavenly limitations. Ephesians says we're blessed in the spiritual realm with every heavenly blessing. I, I, backed, I, I reversed it. We're blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. Our Father has given that to us in Christ and in the presence of his Holy Spirit. He gives generously to all without reproach. The God of the Bible is all-powerful and all-knowing, and we can come to him knowing that he knows all things and he can do all things. The third thing I would say in this text is that his giving has no earthly restrictions. There are no heavenly limitations, but there are no earthly restrictions he gives generously to all. God doesn't play favorites with his children. Now, if you were to ask any of my four daughters, get them one-on-one -on -one and say, hey, who's your daddy's favorite? Every one of my girls will look at you with total confidence and say, I am. Because I go up to each one of them and say, you know you're my favorite. And they got old enough to say, Dad, you say that to everybody. Yeah, but I mean it with you. You're my favorite. You're my favorite. Kim's my favorite wife. I mean, I promise you, she is. And um, if you don't know me, that's the only wife I have and have ever had and hope to ever have. And so I understand that. But God doesn't play favorites. I don't mean by that he doesn't bless some children more than others. There are some children who are more faithful, more obedient, seek his presence more, do the things that God calls, and they live a more blessed life sometimes in their life, but, but God doesn't play favorites. If you come to God and you do what God's called you to do and you're asking God for wisdom, James says he will give it to you, specifically, again, for wisdom. I, I'm not talking about naming and claiming it. 
I'm not talking about the, the worldly prosperity view of life. Even though I believe as Christians we should live prosperous lives. I just mean spiritually prosperous lives. Sometimes financials will be really prosperous, sometimes they'll be really bad. But we live a spiritually prosperous life regardless of where we are financially. It's, it's a prosperous life that God has called to give us and we, we need wisdom to seek him. You see, we're, we're talking about going through life with spiritual eyes to see what God's doing in the midst of our life. So when we hit the trial, we see that God's doing it to make us perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And the only way we'll see life that way is with wisdom. We ask God for that wisdom to see things through his eyes. His nature is to give. He gives no, with no heavenly or earthly restrictions or limitations. And then finally, I would say to you, his giving is with mercy and grace. It's with mercy and grace. You may wonder, where do you get that? And let me just show you the verse again. He gives generously to all. Job, I'll pull it up real quick. Generously to all without reproach. That's mercy. That's grace. Have you ever, you ever been in a situation, maybe you were younger, maybe it's even now, and you just knew that you had to ask somebody for some money, and you knew that when you asked, they would give it to you, but you were going to pay the price for asking? They say something like this, yeah, I'll give you the money. But what would you do, what'd you do with the money I gave you last week? That's reproach. Or you go and you say, hey, I need your advice. And you'd rather do anything than ask this specific person for advice, but you know they have what you need. And you come there and say, yeah, I'll tell you what I think. But why didn't you listen to me last time? You, parents, don't, let's don't be that way with our kids. The father's not that way. The Father gives us, he, he gives us wisdom without reproach. God is, is gracious and God is merciful with his children. And when we ask God to do the things that he asks us or commands us to ask for, when we do what God tells us to do, you know what it does? It delights him. The Father's delighted when you come and ask him for wisdom. The Father is delighted when you say, Father, I just can't see this the way you see it. Please open my eyes to see life the way you see life. Can you imagine, parents, if your kid just crawled up in your lap and said, hey, could you give me your, your perspective on this? I mean, when they're teenagers, they think we're so dumb we don't know anything, you know? And I always say, hang on, in a few years, you're going to be smart again when your parents, your kid's eyes. But can you imagine how much it would delight you for you just to be able to have them willingly say, I need your perspective on this. Think about our Father who is all-knowing, and he knows all things, and, and he wants us to come. He, he's gracious to us. What this really is, is, is it's relationship. It's coming to our Father and speaking to him and learning to trust him in our prayer life, to ask him for the things he's telling us to ask him for. R. Kent Hughes, I love the way he puts this. He says, the wisdom we're asking for in verse five isn't just knowledge. We've, we've lumped Christianity into knowledge. 
So we do Bible studies and we do programs and, and we go to all these things online and we get this knowledge and we read books and we listen to sermons and we get more and more knowledge. But knowledge doesn't always translate into action. Wisdom takes knowledge and puts it into action. And so R. Kent Hughes said, it's not just knowledge. He said, we may know how to travel faster than the speed of sound, but we need wisdom because we're often, often traveling in the wrong direction. So we can go faster than we've ever gone in life now. But just because we know how to do it doesn't mean we should be doing it. And just because we're going in that direction doesn't mean we're going in the right direction. So we have to stop and ask God continually for, for wisdom. Because if we want to live a life that lacks in nothing in the spiritual realm, if we want to live perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, we have to grow through the testing. And the testing that comes requires wisdom to see it the way God sees it. That way we can count it all joy when we go through it. We're commanded to pray. We're assured that when we pray, we have a willing father. And then we have the third thing, which is a warning about doubt. A warning about doubt. Let's just look at it together again. Verse, verse six. But let him or her, ladies, it doesn't exclude you. They just use male pronouns in this situation. Let him, let her ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he, or we could say she, will receive anything from the Lord. He or she is a double-minded man, double-minded woman, unstable in all his ways, her ways. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, double-minded, unstable in all his ways. Really, if you want to look at it, doubt's on this side, okay? And trust is over here. This is the positive. Doubt's the negative. Don't doubt. The positive is trust. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. Faith is the essence of the Christian life. It's how we are saved by grace through faith. It's the way we live our lives. You can just flip a couple chapters back in the book of Hebrews and, and go to Hebrews chapter 11 and you'll find in verse six, without faith it is impossible to please him. It's impossible to please God without faith. So we come not with doubt. Now, does this mean you're a bad Christian if you ever doubt? And, and I want you to hear me. Everybody has doubt. We all go through doubt. And James is saying, don't doubt, come in faith. But, but we, he'll say later, we all stumble in many ways, and doubt's one of those ways. I'll just take you to Peter, for example. Jesus is walking on the water. They're in the midst of a storm. Peter's a seasoned fisherman. They're scared to death, and they look over, and they think it's a ghost. Jesus says something in the Greek, and the Spirit he says, hey, don't worry, I am. I am. And, and, and Peter, I love Peter, he says, hey, if it's you, let me walk on the water too. And so Jesus says, come on. Now we give Peter a hard time, but Peter got out of the boat. And he starts walking on the water and everything's good. And I, I just see James and John and Andrew, we're never gonna hear the end of this. 
You know, look at him, there he goes, walking on the water. And then all of a sudden he looks down off of Jesus, his eyes go off of Jesus, and he looks at the waves and he says, wait a minute, I can't walk on water. He's under the water. Peter had his doubts. There, Elijah, okay, we just read about Elisha this morning, but right before Elisha was Elijah, and Elijah's a man who, who had this mighty moment of triumph in Old Testament. He goes up on a hill, he, he brings all the prophets of Baal, they build two altars, he challenges them to call upon Baal and see if Baal can send down fire, and, 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 and he just, man, he mocks them. They're cutting themselves and dancing and praying, and, and Elijah really, he literally says, hey, maybe your God's relieving himself. Go out there, maybe call out a little louder. He's just mocking them. And then he calls on God. After they drench the altar with water, he calls on God, and fire comes and laps it up, and, and Elijah, he kills all the prophets of Baal, and there's this great moment of victory. And then the queen says, I'm gonna kill him. And he goes and he hides. From great victory to great doubt. We see it all the way through the scripture. And it's one of the things I love about the Bible is it gives us our heroes, it gives us their successes, but it also shows us their failures. We may have doubt from time to time. But when we have that doubt, we come back to God and we ask him to forgive us for doubting and we ask him for the wisdom that we need. We have to come to him in faith believing that he'll do what he says he'll do because our faith is not on our circumstances. It's, it's based in the character of God. Our faith is based in his character and we see God as a God of mercy and grace. And so we come to him believing he'll do what he says he will do. Now, once again, this is steeped in, in, in soaked in Jesus's teaching. I'll just show you again, Matthew chapter 21, 21 through 22. Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask for in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. You know what Jesus is telling us here? He's saying, you come to the Father and you come in my name and you ask for the things that will bring him glory, which also bring you the most satisfaction. You come and you ask for his glory and he will rip up mountains to make it happen. He will do it. If you're asking for him to give you wisdom to see life through his eyes, he will do it. If you're asking God to help you do things for bringing him glory, he will do it. Trust the God of the Bible. Understand this, the God who moved in Abraham's life is our God. The God who moved in David's life, the God who, who led David to write those Psalms that still move our hearts, and, and the God who moved in David's life is our God. And the God who rescued through Esther is our God, and the God who rescued through Ruth is our God. The God who moves in Elijah's life and Moses' life, that's our God. That's not just some God way back then. That's the unchangeable God who now lives inside of us. The God who made Elisha so powerful that when he was dead and his bones were in a tomb and a dead man was thrown on top of his bones and he came to life. That's in the Bible, read it. You'll find all kinds of stuff in there. 
That's the kind of God that still lives inside of us. He's an all-powerful God. Come in faith and trust him for the wisdom that you need. He says the one who doubts, it's like the wave driven back and forth by the wind. Now I love to watch waves go back and forth by the wind. I'd rather be at the beach than anywhere else most of the time in my life. But this is not talking about vacation watching the water. This is stability, this is foundational. And a wave has no stability. It's just back and forth. It's, it's a life that's lifted up by faith one moment and, and it's, it's torn down by doubt the next moment. It's the life that, that one moment's living by spiritual discipline and the next moment is just falling back to ease. Up and down, up and down. Never growing, never faithful, never being consistent. It's like, again, Peter walking on the water. Eyes on Jesus, then he takes his eyes off. We're not to be like that. We're to be people of trust and faith and come to him asking in faith. We're to live our lives with our eyes set on Jesus. James says, when we doubt, we're double-minded and unstable. Now, double-minded literally means two-souled, S-O-U-L-E-D. And not only two-souled, but two-minded. I think Bunyan got it right in Pilgrim's Progress. He's, he spoke of a man, he said, he's Mr. Facing both ways. You know anybody like that? Oh yeah, he's all about church today, but he's, he's all about the devil the next day. He's, he's back and forth, up and down. And that's what we are when we doubt, we're double-minded. It, it's, it's a person, Stephen Cole said, it's a person torn between allegiance to God and the allurement of the world. We, we wanna follow God, but then we keep looking over at all the bells and whistles that the world has, and we're torn between the two. We're, we're double-minded, up and down, up and down. I just go back to Joshua, choose who you're gonna follow, and follow after Jesus. He says that double-minded man leads to a life that's unstable, up and down. We saw this back in, in early in the year when we're looking at discipleship. We saw it in Ephesians chapter four, verse 14. Paul says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. That's the same person James is describing. Double-minded, unstable, tossed to and fro. You know, the enemy doesn't want us to live by God's wisdom. He says, just, just follow your heart. Really? You know what the Bible says about your heart? It's deceitful above all things. Don't follow your heart. Well, I'll just follow my conscience. Let my conscience be my God. You know how much trouble I've been in in my life from following my conscience? Or sometimes lack of? Well, I'll just, I'll just follow my reason. I'm a pretty logical person. Really? What the Bible tells us is that we are to follow God and God's spirit through his word. We, we walk with him and we learn to hear his voice and we do what he tells us to do. That's wisdom. Living in the wisdom of God that he gives to us by faith. Now how do we get that kind of faith? How do we get there? I, I had to change the end of the sermon this week. Um, 
we were supposed to do the Lord's Supper today, and, and the elements didn't come in the mail. <laughs> that wasn't a first century church problem, you know? Paul writes to the Corinthians, well, I came to have the Lord's Supper with you today, but the elements didn't come in the mail. That, that was, that's just kind of, <laughs> excuse me, it's where we are. But, but I went back and thought about it as I read over it this past, really, Thursday and then this morning again. How do we get this kind of faith? Well, listen to Romans. Just write a couple of verses down. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. The rest of this won't be on the screen. And it's, it's, I, I changed it, and that's why. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. What Paul's describing when he says, ask of wisdom and count it joy, what Paul's describing is what you find in Hebrews 11 in the Hall of Fame of Faith. He's describing what James talks about at the end of the book. He talks about Elijah. And it's interesting, matter of fact, just turn over to James chapter five. Turn in your Bibles to the last page of James. He's talking about the prayer of faith. He's talking about praying over the sick. And he says in James 5, 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. If he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins. And then look what he says at the end of that verse. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And then he gives us an example you look at the next verse, he gives us the example of Elijah, who we just talked about. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three and a half years it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Elijah was a man who had great, unbelievable miracles. But I want you to see what he says. Look at the verse again. Look at verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. I think we tend to think of Elijah as being kind of Clark Kennish. We think he's Superman. He, he comes from another planet, and, and he can do different things. He just looks like us, but he's not really us. And we look at different people and we think of them that way in the Old Testament. And, and, and when we look at that and think that way, we're, we're ignoring something. They were just people like we're people, but they trusted their God. And so when we come to the scriptures, we, we begin to learn to, to trust in God. And so let me just give you three things, okay? Three things to help you get the faith that ask God for wisdom in the midst of trials. Here's the first one. Read your Bible and get a great view of God. Read your Bible and get a great view of God. Start in Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You nail that down, the rest of it makes sense. Go through the Bible and see the God that we have, this God of wonders that, that does and does these incredible things. And realize that's the God that lives inside of you through his Holy Spirit. So read your Bible and get a great view of God. That's where you start. What you think about God is the most important thing about you. Tozer said that. What we think about God is the most important thing about us. 
Secondly, read your Bible and get a great view of the people of God. I said earlier, the saints of God, but sometimes we use that word saint differently. We're all saints. Get a great view of the people, of the saints of God. See how God moved in Moses' life. Why did God lead us to write down things like the book of Jonah? So we could see how God moved. So we could see how God used people, how God accomplished his purposes through people with natures just like us. And then there's one more thing. Read your Bible, get a great view of God. Read your Bible, get a great view of the saints or the people of God. And thirdly, read great biographies, Christian biographies. I'm afraid that we don't know who the great Christians are anymore. We're so consumed with today that we've lost sight of the great men and women who've gone on before us. I, I brought a couple to give you some suggestions. And most of them aren't in the library, but I, I will tell you, our library out there has a whole section on great biographies. One of them is The Shadow of the Almighty by Elizabeth Elliot. She writes about her husband, Jim Elliot, who was martyred for his faith. And then the other one, what was it, Tim? Through the Gates of Splendor, also by, by Elizabeth Elliot. Ladies, you can't read a bad, men, you can't read a bad book by Elizabeth Elliot. Okay? But she talks about Jim Elliot's life. Get to know what God did in Jim Elliot's life. Hudson Taylor. How many of you know who Hudson Taylor is? I, I'm, in, I'm in Beijing, right outside of Beijing, China. We're at the end of a trip. I am so tired. I want to go home. And we're just going to see a couple more churches and do a couple things. And next day we're going home. And, 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 and I've been in a bunch of church buildings now. And I've seen a lot of property. Um, I pulled into a restaurant. And our translator said, uh, do you eat donkey? And I said, Robin, that's not a question I ever want to be asked. And he laughed. We didn't eat donkey, but they served donkey there. But we, we, so we come from that and, and we go to another church. And I'll be honest, I'm thinking, I just want to go back to the hotel. I want to take a shower. I want to go to sleep. I want to go home. I'm not doing ministry anymore. I'm just seeing churches. And then she says, Hudson Taylor built this church. I went, Ooh, I think I want to see this one. Forgive me, Lord. Hudson Taylor, unbelievable. He, he learned his mission approach through George Mueller, who I just mentioned two weeks ago. Get his book about George Mueller. Um, Timothy George, Birmingham. William Carey, what a great missionary, what a great man of the faith, did incredible things. Eric Metaxas, I don't like everything he does, but he wrote a great book on Wilberforce's life. Okay? I'm not saying read everything Metaxas does, but I will say his book on Bonhoeffer, he wrote one on Luther, and he also wrote here really, really good um, things. Um, and then... I didn't, I didn't find this in the first service, and then when I walked out, John Piper has a series of mission sermons, and this is just 21 servants of Sovereign Joy. Who, who, it's just a life of 21 different people. The, I went to one of his conferences, and I heard his sermon. And if you want to hear a sermon that, that will blow your mind, listen, it, it's how great they are who fall so hard. And it was the life of Adoniram Judson. He preached a sermon on it that was just incredible. Incredible. What are you what am I saying? 
Read how God moved in people's lives in the past. It builds your faith. Understand why we, why we give to Annie Armstrong. Know who she is. Why do we give to Lottie Moon? Know who she is. Know the great missionaries in the past and in the present. See how God's moving. If you just want to read a book, The Insanity of God by Nick Ripkin. You can't put it down. It talks about the persecution that, that in China and Soviet Union and, and, and Korea and other places that the, the church faced. Read, read, he's one of our missionaries. Read the Bible, get a great view of God. Read the Bible, get a great view of the people of God. And then go outside the Bible to biographies and get a great view of how God moved in people's lives. And it will build your faith. And it will help you walk in faith like you should. Amen. I want to ask you if you would to bow your heads for a moment. Kim's, Kim's going to come and just play for a second. Um, I just, I want to close this time out by giving you a chance to respond. Because I believe many of us are in trials. And I can tell you, there are times in my life if I didn't have Jesus to hold to, if I didn't have a wife who who holds to Jesus with me. I, I, there are times in family situations we wouldn't make it. When you're dealing with prodigals, when you're dealing with, with people who are walking away, when you're dealing with, with parents who don't walk with the Lord or kids who don't walk with the Lord or situations and you don't know where to turn, ask God for wisdom. So you're, you may be in that trial right now. You don't know where to go, where to turn. And maybe, if you're honest, the enemy's been whispering in your ear that God, if he loved you, you wouldn't be doing this right now. That's a lie of Satan. Ask God to give you wisdom today. Ask him to help you see things through his lens. I just want to give you a chance to spend the rest of this time just asking God for that very thing, applying what we've been talking about. If you need someone to pray for you, Tim's here, I can be here. Mark's in the back. We'll help you in any way we can. But would you just practice what James is telling us? lift up our families around us. It's difficult when when a daughter is having health problems and the doctors don't know what it is. Pray for the Tompkins. Pray for it. That God will give doctors wisdom. It's difficult to go through a loss of a parent. You know that, many of you. Pray for the fields. can't imagine the pain that Shirley Mather is facing after losing, losing her husband and now a daughter. Pray for her. Ask God to give him wisdom. 
Father, we come before you. Forgive us when we don't trust you. Forgive us when we think we know better how we ought to have our lives run. Forgive us, Lord, when we always go for the easy path and as a consequence never grow. None of us are asking for trials to come. They'll come. But we are asking this, Lord. We're asking as you commanded us to ask that when the trials come, that you would give us wisdom to see it the way you see it. And that our joy would not be robbed from us, but that we would trust you. So I pray for my brothers and sisters here. I pray for the struggles that we face, the trials, the temptations. Give us wisdom in the temptation to see how the enemy attacks us and how through your spirit we can have victory. Help us, Lord. I pray, Lord, for the healing that's needed in here. I pray for the comfort that's needed, for the encouragement, for the provision, sometimes for the discipline. We want to walk in your spirit, Lord. So help us to trust you, we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. I want to ask if we can just to turn um, the live stream off for just a second. I, I want to address something, and I, 